0: What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Elevate Experience,
1: the podcast about overcoming struggles and adversity and how that relates to addiction, recovery and health. I am your host and the CEO of Elevate Addiction Services, Angie Manson.
0: And I'm Dallas Terrell, co-host and life intervention counselor, Elevate. Thank you so much for joining us. And let's jump right in.
2: Hey, guys, it's Dan Manson from Elevate. I was supposed to be on this podcast as I was the one who discovered our next guest, but unfortunately our schedules just couldn't align. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm sure Angie and Dallas did a great job. But I said I wanted to do the introduction because as soon as I met Caleb, I knew that I wanted to do something together with him. So I met Caleb at this event called The Proving Ground, which was hosted by the Three of Seven Group. The Three of Seven Group was created by Chad Wright and his brother Blake. Now if you don't know Chad right, you should look into him. I learned about Chad by listening to Andy Frisella's podcast, so shout out to him for helping bring Chad into the spotlight. So, Chad was a Navy SEAL for 12 years, and has seen and done things most of us will obviously never experience. He served as security for the President of the United States, and he became an instructor for Navy SEALs. So not only did he become an elite warrior himself, he trained others on how they could do the same. He retired from the military a few years back and now runs ultra-marathons. The dude runs a hundred miles at a time, seriously. I can't even imagine the physical and mental endurance you have to have in order to do that. So if anyone walks the walk when it comes to mental toughness, it's this guy. So as I said, Chad created this program called The Proving Grounds, which is three days in the hills of North Georgia in January in the wintertime. He didn't give much information about it, but it was designed to push you mentally and physically. What I read was just show up and be ready. Now, truth be told, I'm not in great shape these days. As an adult, I've worked out here and there, but I've never been all that consistent. And I don't think I've ever run a mile straight since high school, let alone an ultra marathon. But something told me that I should go out and do this thing anyway. I mean, I look at a computer screen all day and I'm on the phone all day. That's my life. I've got a lot of responsibilities and i've got a lot of weight on my shoulders which i happily accept but my mind is racing 24 7 which may sound cool but i can tell you that it's great when you're doing a strategy brainstorming session but most of the time when you're just trying to live your life it's pretty tough i think the proving ground appealed to me because it seemed like the opposite of that no phone no computer running working out pushing yourself beyond what you thought you could do overcoming fears and learning things about yourself. So I didn't really think about it too much, I just signed up and I went. Now when I got there I was by far the person in the worst shape of the group, and one of the oldest. It was humbling. When I saw a guy older than me I was relieved, and then I'd hear him talk to somebody else about how he just recently ran a marathon. (laughs) So I was like, okay, great. So I had to suck it up, guys, and I had to realize that although I'm a leader at Elevate, and in this environment, in Georgia, I was the weak link and I had to find ways to be valuable to the team because they were obviously younger, stronger, and faster than I was. When I was there, I pushed myself as hard as I physically could, even when my body was giving out, and that was all that I could do, but I did leave it all out there. To make a long story short, and we're not supposed to talk about the program very much because it's something you gotta experience, I did have an amazing experience, and I got so much more out of the program that I expected. I met some amazing men and we made incredible bonds and I'm still in contact with them. I flew back home to California exhausted, scraped and bruised physically, but fired up and motivated mentally and spiritually. Anyway, when I was there, I met Caleb and he became my swim buddy, which is like the guy you never leave behind no matter what. We were responsible for each other and to be totally honest, he carried me quite literally at one point during the last challenge he actually physically carried me (laughs) so i could finish it he told me his story and in fact he told the story to the whole group it was really inspiring to me and i knew right away this guy was special and that he had a lot to offer to the native american people and to the recovery community this dude is a dynamo of energy and positivity as he ran the trail of tears which is 835 miles he literally ran eight hundred and thirty five miles. This guy is a beast. One last story before I turn it over, and the one that I feel really defines my relationship with Caleb and the Proving Ground was the final night there. Even though we were exhausted as a troop and had pushed ourselves through all kinds of challenges, the platoon leaders decided that we should get up at five in the morning and run in the cold and the dark, with headlights on our heads. It was twenty five degrees. We didn't have to do this. It wasn't required and Chad wouldn't know whether we did it or not. But we as a group got behind it and did it together because that's what the proving ground was all about. After the run, we settled into a field, we got into a circle, and we turned off our headlights. It was dark and we were warm from the run, but the air was crisp and cool around us. All we saw were the stars up in the sky and shadows of the trees. At that point, Caleb told us he wanted to lead us in a Cherokee war cry. He showed us how to do it, and I remember it being so surreal to be screaming out this war cry led by a real Cherokee under the Georgia stars at 6 in the morning. I haven't felt that alive in a long time. I only wish Chad would have been there to see it, because it was awesome. Anyway, Caleb's a special guy, and I know he's going to do great things. Without further ado, let's hear this interview with Angie in Dallas.
1: Caleb, welcome to the show. Super happy to have you here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, my first question for you is, uh, obviously, the intro, we talked about your past and your history. So what was it like growing up on the reservation? We're going to go way back to start with.
3: Way back. I was actually anticipating this.
1: Um... <laughs> Darn it. I, that's not the hard question I was looking for.
3: <laughs> um well, first, before, let me preface that question with just, uh, I thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to jump on and just to share my story, my testimony, and, and uh, you know, the things, my experiences, and um, the things that have shaped me and helped me to get to the man that I am today. So, thank you guys for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: Of course. Absolutely. It's good to have you.
3: Man, it's I'm th- I think that you guys have worked with different Native American communities. Yep. And so there's a lot of differences if you go from reservation to reservation. And so living here in Cherokee, we are one of the most fortunate uh, tribes, I would say. I think we are like the top five um, as far as revenue revenue goes with casinos and different things like that land land transactions so like we are really we're really fortunate as far as like monetarily goes gotcha um growing up here man it was we had a lot of cookouts the the community is really uh we're for one another You know, or the family, close knit families, everybody knows everybody, which obviously can be a bad thing too. So, (laughs) um, but you know, my first memory—this is this particular to my family. um, My first memory when I was three years old, I I recall my dad leaving. Three, I was three or four years old. I recall my dad leaving one morning, and this is just such a traumatic experience, but. After he left, uh, soon after that, there was um, police cars come rolling up the driveway. And I remember them tearing our house apart. So they come in, they tear our house apart, and they're slinging my mom all over the place, got her on a police car, and, and they had come in because they had made a control by. So like the very first memory growing up is, it, you know, us getting raided. Damn, <laughs> And crazy. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I can very vividly remember that, but yeah. So that's, I want to go back to that, like different reservation. I mean, if you go reservation to reservation, obviously there's so much trauma within the indigenous communities and I mean, alcoholism, domestic violence, um, just different challenges along, you know, along those lines. And my family was no different. Right. And, my wife's family, it's the same thing, like divorce, you've got people dying from cirrhosis, you got people dying from overdoses, um, just a lot of different health issues. And so like that is very prevalent here as well. And then you mix in the, the the fact that you get per capita here. So every six months, I don't know if you're familiar with per capita, but every six months we get a, a, a check. Mm-hmm. Every enrolled member, and it's grown over the years, and it's a really significant amount now, but growing up then it was just a small check, but yet you have, you have that money. And especially if you, if you have no, um, you don't have the ability to use it wisely or you you're in the throes of addiction, you're going to go out and buy a bunch of, buy buy a bunch of dope, bunch of drugs and whatnot. And so that's, that's really prevalent. That, that really like is something that that has been destroying our community here in Cherokee. Um, that's something that affected my life for years and years. Now, I do want to say that as much as that, like that chaotic and traumatic event when I was three years, old, I had a lot of love in my life. Like my mom and dad were both present. Um, there was a lot of domestic violence. Like it was a very dysfunctional type of love. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, my my dad was a really really hard worker and like you can travel on the reservation now and motel after motel i can look and like my dad built those things like he was a he was a really good carpenter you know over at the golf course here close to uh, right outside of Cherokee, he built a bunch of condos and everything and so like i seen my mom's the same way my mom worked um and in, in job core for several years she worked at unity here on the reservation for a long time and so i see all this this hard work on one hand and then i see the dysfunction and the domestic violence and the alcoholism and everything and so i'm like what do i do with that right i, I didn't know yeah and uh you know that like the generational trauma is such a, a key piece in my story because my mom watched her, mom's, watched her mom get killed, murdered in front of her. Huh. So my mom grew up in children's homes. She was molested growing up. And I have to, I'm, I'm like still unlearning things that, she, that that trauma that was passed on to me, how to deal with situations and circumstances, you know, negatively that she learned that I, that I picked up from her and my dad, if that makes any sense. So yeah. So, I mean, I, I see all these different, you know, night and day as far as like the positive attributes in my parents and then the addiction, the trauma, the dysfunction, all those different things. And so growing up, I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to believe. Like I see my dad working hard, but then every Friday, I'm watching all these guys and all these people show up, and they're saying they're buying weed and cocaine mm. for my dad. You know,
0: right? right. Yeah, that's confusing.
3: But that's <laughs> got a little side hustle going on, and he's like. Later on, my mom was like, "Well, your dad done that so we could have extra things, right? So you 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 could have a life that we didn't have. right This is for, is for you. We're doing this for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> right? You're like, thank you. <laughs> I think. <laughs> you. And, and the, my dad always, you know, repeated the mantra, don't do as I do, do as I say do. He would but, actually tell you that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure we've all heard that. And I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense. I, I'm kind of being hypocritical. So I'm just going to do what you're doing.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah yep. for sure. You're my dad. <laughs> I'm following suit. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: Right, for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, it was... We bounced around a lot when I was growing up. Um, when I was eight years old, I remember my sister and I were making paper airplanes, and we were doing this to my Leanne, my sister, who's seven years older than me. She passed away in 2019 from an overdose. Oh man, she was always like big sis protector would take me when things were going crazy in our house. You know, my mom and dad were fighting. She'd take me outside and we'd go do something. So this particular night, we're outside and we're making these airplanes and just having a little, playing a little game. And, and I remember my mom and dad screaming and hollering in the house. And my mom comes outside and she picks us up and she puts us in the vehicle. And the only time I've ever seen my mom smoke a cigarette in my entire life. Well, I knew something was like, What what the heck's going on? And I even asked my mom like, "Why are you smoking?" And I can't remember exactly what she said. But the following morning, we load up in a van. (laughs) Mind you, like life's going good. You know, we're in school. We're you know we're we're settled into this new house that my dad just built. The next morning, we're in a van. We're moving to California. Damn, like in one night. Uh. And we stayed in California with my mom's, my mom's husband or my mom's boyfriend at the time. And we stayed up there for a couple months and then we bounced down to Tucson, Arizona. My mom had got a job done there working with a job Corps. Gotcha. I got so homesick. I was puking, you know, everything that I ate. I was, I was just completely distraught from this move and all this you know the everything that was going on the turmoil and the the turbulence going on in my life and all the uncertainty and while I was out there I remember the uh the elementary school that I was in in Tucson got shot up by a drive-by and so I mean it's just just so much craziness and chaos and and I didn't know how to deal with any of it So my dad, I remember he comes out there. He drives from Cherokee, North Carolina, to Tucson, Arizona, in 27 hours. He got six speeding tickets on his way out to get me.
0: That's quick. (laughs) That's a quick, uh, quick drive.
3: (laughs) Yeah, really quick. And on the way home, um, he picked me up. And on the way home, we got we got another speed. He lost his license for five years. He got one ticket on the way home in Arkansas for 135 and a 65. Yeah, he and it was he had to come out there and get his boy yeah and he moved, his, he moved back home my sister and my mom stayed out there so I mean like you can see all this all this craziness you know and all this trauma going on I didn't know what to do I didn't know who I was I didn't know how I should who I should be listening to my mom's telling me one thing my dad's telling me another you know they're constantly at odds but then I see them together and they're getting along so it's like <laughs> and i don't share a lot this part of my story but for some reason it's just coming up in my mind and so we get back home my dad and i were living together and uh at this point in time we're like we're roughing it you know we're living (laughs) down one uh, two-bedroom trailer and we got really really close during that time um my mom and my sister eventually moved back home Shortly that after that, a year or two after after all this is going on, they get back together. We're all living in the same house. Leanne's starting to sneak out. You know, she's running away. Can't find her for two months.
0: Oh, damn. Oh,
3: wow. uh, my mom and dad are continuing to be in this, just this toxic relationship. And they're staying together for us, which was just ridiculous, you know, looking back on. Like, don't do it for the kids. You know what i Don't do it for us. Like, right. this is hurting us more than anything. And it was a, it was about that time that I started developing these awful migraines. And I was going to uh, is it a neurologist. It is a neurologist, isn't
0: it? I think so, yeah. I was going to a
3: neurologist, and they couldn't figure out what was going on with me. And they kept giving me these different uh, migraine medications non-narcotic and finally it just got to the point where i was in so much pain the doctor gave me state off so i don't know if y'all are familiar with state off no i
0: don't think i've ever heard of that what is it
3: so it's a really strong narcotic that i think it's one of the only drugs that they can give to women in labor during their pregnancy narcotics you know they 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 like to get they like to prescribe Mm. now that was how long ago 20 years ago i'm sure they probably don't do it now but at the time that's that was their protocol back (laughs) then (laughs) yeah just write a prescription here you go yeah take Um, this fix that
1: and that was the mentality back then my friend uh who got pregnant before me she was a smoker and they they told her to keep smoking through her pregnancy because they thought that would be less stressful for the fetus than quitting smoking and that was only 20, what 20, well, I guess 28 years ago. That was a while ago. But yeah, that was yeah. the mentality is they'd rather have the mom chilled out than thinking about what it was actually doing to the baby.
3: Right. Rather than any kind of healthy alternative, you know. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, 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 We've yeah, come
1: yeah. a long way since then. I don't think it's protocol yeah. anymore. <laughs> well, I hope not. You never know.
3: <laughs> um, so they, they prescribed me this, this narcotic, and I'm 11 years old. And I can remember the first time that I took Stadol. Wow. Like it just completely blew my mind. It it, it it helped me escape everything that was going on in my life. I mean, along with Tate knocking the migraines out, but it was shortly within a month or so that I was like, my mom was coming and saying, Caleb, where's all your Stadol gone? Like you, <laughs> you should have a bottle of it. And I was a lot like, of headaches. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think Leanne's been taking it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the sister is the bus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't, you know, too far from the truth because I'm pretty sure that she was getting some of it as well. But I mean, I was going in there all the time. You know, I should have been taking it only when, you know, I was having a, a migraine. Mm-hmm. And I'm taking it every day. So I mean, my mom puts it into her. Panty drawer you know because that's the safe place to put everything nobody's going to ever look at yeah especially (laughs)
0: your kids yeah
3: (laughs) so i found it and i began to have a sense of what's the word i'm looking for i was i was i noticed that my mom had a lot of other medications in the uh i love the way that it made me feel i love like i said it helped me escape and everything and I didn't have to worry about the stress and anxiety in my life. So I noticed all these other medications in the medicine cabinet. And I get on, I get on the internet and I'm researching all this and, and I find out about benzos. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm 11 years old and I'm having to put my, the chair, I'm so short, I put the chair up to reach into the medicine cabinet. And I remember I took um, Klonopins for like two weeks straight every day wow. and a side effect to one of those is having hiccups, continuous hiccups. And so I'm walking around, and I'm I'm like like literally two weeks straight I'm I, I cannot get rid of the hiccups. <laughs> and my mom's asking me, why are you why are you always you know why do you always got the hiccups? And so I played it off. And one night about two o'clock in the morning, I'm sneaking in there, I'm getting into her her clonopins, and she comes around the corner and she sees me standing on the on the chair and getting into the medicine. And she's like, "Damn, I knew, I knew you were taking those. And, and so um, she took, you know, she put everything up. She started uh, talking to the doctor about, you know, all these red flags that I was showing, but that, that was the, the time that my drug use started.
1: Pretty young and it
3: helped. Yeah, it really was. And so Like I said, my sister, she's, you know, I'm I'm 11, so she's about 18 at the time, and I was I I seen the people that she was hanging out with, you know, and I thought that that was that was the you know way to be cool. Of course. And so, yeah, peer pressure played a huge role in me in me using and wanting to fit in, right? I I needed to have that sense of acceptance. I mean, but coming from all this, all this trauma and, you know, not, not, not knowing who I should be with with my mom and dad. And so it helped me to, to be, to feel accepted and to do all these things so that, you know, I could fit in with the crowd.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure you looked up to your sister too. Like she was probably the, the stable one. Like she was always there. She was always normal. She was always cool. I'll follow, I'll follow suit with her.
1: Yeah, and we both have similar things with older relatives uh, leading the way, and we just wanted to be part of that cool group of the older uh, the older relative for sure.
3: Yeah, Um, you know, shortly after that, I got involved in in sports, which was a saving grace for me for a long time. Of course, and just having a, a sense of purpose and having a group of friends that were aspiring to do something, you know, and, and just go out and have fun and, and clean fun, you know, was really important. And probably, I mean, saved my life, honestly, for a number of years. And so I, I got heavily involved in sports. I, I ran cross country. Uh, I played football. I played basketball. Now, mind you, during this time, I was constantly, you now looking back, I, when I share this, people are always like, raise their eyebrows at me like, why well, you done that? But like, I went from the goth group to the jocks, yeah, to the, the rednecks. I was constantly changing my appearance, my appearance, and how I how I dressed and how I acted. And I was a follower, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't know how to to stand up and be a leader, of course, and to stand for something, you know, to have some values because I just had so much just so much chaos in my life that I didn't know, you know, what was the right way. Um, so I continued to uh, progress, going to parties. I, I stopped having migraines. They got me on a different medication that was a non-narcotic. And so that, that kind of, went, that went away. But then I, I kept going to these parties and everything. And I remember the first time, but sitting on the back of the, of the bus heading to a football game when I was 16 in my junior year. And one of the guys, he pulls out a bag of meth and he's like, hey, you want to be Superman tonight? Let's put this in our water bottles. Oh man. And Changed the game. Changed the game.
0: How'd you play that night?
3: Literally, aggressive. <laughs> football game in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Both ends. so I remember you know, there's a few of us that that took it. And the, some of the guys that, that first done that with us the next time, they're like, no, I don't want no part of that. I can't stand the way it made me feel. Like, I, I don't, I ain't doing that again. And looking back now, like, the guys that liked it had a lot of trouble at home, had a lot of trauma that they were dealing with, of course. Right. And, yeah, I took, I took that meth for the very first time, and I loved it. I loved it. I I loved the way it made me feel. Um, I loved the fact that it helped give me confidence, you know, and helped me feel like Superman and and like I could accomplish anything. And I think that was a critical piece, just like, you know, having confidence, something I didn't have, a false sense of confidence. Right. So we continue to use pretty heavily, you know, through football season. My mom started picking up on this. Her and my dad are, are together. They're Like I said, they stayed together from that time she moved back from Arizona to Cherokee. They stayed together because they wanted both parents to be in the home. So my mom started picking up on all, all, all these red flags and everything, and she would question me about using drugs, and she stopped allowing me to hang out with the people that I was doing the meth with. I wasn't showing a lot of signs, mm-hmm. but the fact grades were declining i had a scholarship offer to play football i had a scholarship offer to play uh, to run track and my senior year it got so bad that i started failing classes and they kicked me off the team which is i mean that's that's the thing to do right don't give somebody a tutor and help them uh, hold, have some accountability and pick them up just kick them off the team because yeah just
0: take away everything get- yeah
3: yep. <laughs> take away everything I- Hey, that's just another thing, you know, we've progressed how we, how we deal with things. So
0: yeah. thank God. Right. Yeah. I,
3: yeah, sure. For sure. And that's helped me to when, you know, and I'll get into this in a few minutes, but that's helped me when we go and speak in schools, like how to pick these kids up, how to, you know, not let tell them that their mistakes don't define them. I needed to hear that, you know, I, I like experiencing that. That helps me to give back in you know, those situations and, and see the, the kids for what they are you know kids human beings not not for their experiences and their mistakes and um so i got kicked off the team and shortly i barely graduated high school shortly after that i was in a relationship with a girl um i had asked her to marry, marry me we was engaged and we had a son oh, like, Wow! as soon as i graduated high school Ooh. And I, as you can tell, i got all of this, this crap that I'm dealing with, and now I've got this human being in my life that I have no idea how to take care of. So I just withdrew, and I was never a part of his life, and I'm still paying for that mistake. You know, my oldest son, Hayden, um, I was around for about the first six months. we separated, and she went and got married and 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 i was I continued down this path of you know just chaos and and just in the madness um the next year got into another relationship I, uh, had another son almost, huh. to a, a <laughs> almost to a a year almost to a a year almost to the day apart and his name's Caleb, and fortunately, Caleb is. We're, we're rebuilding our relationship. Like, awesome. I speak to him on a basis. And, but, you know, I was in his life for a year or so. Again, walked away. You know, I didn't know how to be a stable. I, I mean, I was, wasn't stable myself, so I couldn't give that to them. You know what I'm of saying? Course. So i'm continuing to use um at this time i'm, I'm just i'm drinking a lot i am started i mean i'm smoking crack um that was that was my biggest thing was the hard drugs like the meth the crack the cocaine that that was that was my vices during that time never held down a job i kept bouncing from job to job and i remember um in 2013 i got a i got a call i think it was 2013 no excuse me it's 2011 my dad has stage four pan- pancreatic cancer now mind you i'm i'm self-medicating all the time i just got fired from a job that i had with the tribe because i was high on the job i was doing a pill deal and i backed into a vehicle and i went and failed a drug test <laughs> so Damn. i was i was in a company vehicle and they popped me with a drug test and i was hot. And. Uh, so I lost that job. Get this call, and it's just like it, all these this sequence of events, and just life happening, right? And I didn't know how to how to deal with that. And so I remember the girl that I was dating at the time. You know, we we were constantly doing uh, pain, you know, opiates together. And she was like, "I'm going to get some some needles from my grandma. She got some diabetic needles." And I was like, "No, don't don't do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, please I, don't do I, that. Yeah." Don't,
3: do what? Do what?
0: Yeah. Please don't do that. You're like, please don't get those needles.
3: <laughs> I'm like, I say that, like I said that, like, but deep down, I was like, I wonder what that would be like. You know what I'm saying? Like,
0: uh, I do. Yes. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, so she brings them home, and it was, it was, it was really crazy because I feel like God was trying to intervene in my life, and I sat down on the on the Indiot on the toilet for the first time. And I'm I pull the first shot back and I'm looking at it. And my I put a towel towel down at the bottom of the door because my son was at the house with me. And so I'm looking at it, looking at this syringe. And right before I'm getting ready to you know do this shot, my son knocks on the door and he's five at the time. And he's like, Dad, Dad, what are you doing in there? Cause I'd been in there for a while just staring at this thing. And, you know, I think that, that, that happens several times in our lives, you know, like God, the divine showing up, like trying to intervene and stop us and help us from hurting ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I didn't listen, you know, I just completely broke. I was like, I'll be out in a minute, son. And I done it. And that was, you know, it was all downhill. I mean, it was it had been all downhill, but it re- might really changed my life at that point in time. Um, my dad, got, I moved in with my dad thinking I'm going to take care of him, you know, and, and I couldn't even take care of myself. I didn't have a job. Um, I was beginning to get into the, that time in my life where I couldn't be trusted right. anything and everything wasn't chained down. I was stealing and, you know, to, to have it. Um, and so i moved in with my dad and, and I start taking his pain pills and everything and i'm kind of uh, there's a point to where he would sell them to me but then he realized how control how out of control that i was that he was like no i'm not like i'm not going to be any part of it you need to you know you need to go get help and it was really thinking back on it, it was really heartbreaking um he come in one time or the bank calls him and i remember i was this this is the house that my dad left me after he passed, but I was upstairs and I could hear him in his bedroom here. And the bank called and was like, you're missing a lot of money. <laughs> and so I heard my dad, you know, talking to him, hung up the phone and I'm just upstairs. I'm sweating bullets. <laughs> like he knows, like he's, the game's up, you know, what am I going to do? And I start packing my stuff. Cause I think like, he had every right to freaking kick me out, you know? and And set that boundary. And he calls me downstairs. And again, this is just God's grace showing up in my life and how I rejected that. But he calls me downstairs and he's like, Caleb, he's like, son, I just got off the phone with the bank. I know what you've been doing. He's like, I love you though. And I want to see you get better. Now, you know, he could have been pissed and and kicked me out and whatever. It was just like that that love that you hear about. Right. I mean, just the unconditional love. And it broke me down for a moment, but then I was like that pride and the fact that like, I, you know, I'm good. I got this. I I'll just, you know, I'll take a break, stop on my own. And just all these lies that I'm telling myself, it got so bad guys that my mom had to move my dad out of the house. Wow. Because I just kept stealing. Right. You had to
0: intervene, huh?
3: Unfortunately, there was no consequences for my actions, you know, and and that was a huge part of my story. Like, my mom and dad had so much trauma and, and 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 crap that they were dealing with, and they wanted to give us a better life so that we don't have to go through and struggle like they went. But you know, that struggle produces that strength. Right? I needed to, I needed to fall on my face. I needed to to hit that bottom, and it wasn't happening. They were enabling me, you know, and and so he moves over to the uh, he moves over to my mom's house, and it it's so strange. It, it's honestly beautiful just how they they continue to to love and care for one another, like in my dad's later years, and so he's living in a house with my mom and my stepdad, you know. He's in on hospice care which is a beautiful testament, you know, just the fact that all that they've been through, but yet they still show up for one another and love yeah, one another. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so that's a, that was a really awesome lesson that I've learned, you know, since being in recovery. So when my dad continues to just, his health's declining and he gets down to 130 pounds, you know, he's skin and bones and he's just a shell of the man that I remember. And I'm out one evening, and I'm digging ginseng, which is you know one of the things that you do around here to go f- feed your fuel your habit. You know, you go and hit you hit a quick lick and go and sell it, and you got some money in your pocket. But I remember I was out this day. I felt like crap. I'm sweating. I'm with starting to withdraw, and my mom picks up the phone and calls me. And she's like, "Caleb, okay, get to the hospital now!" And so I'm running. Down the trail, I'm in the park where I should. I was breaking the law. Shouldn't been digging in the park, <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, I mean, just, just crazy, you know. And and I get to the vehicle and I fly to the fly to the hospital. And this was the last one of the last days that my dad could speak. You know, his strength was about gone, but he he could. I remember sitting there talking to him and everything and. And the nurse come in, and and you know they gave him six months to live, and this is three years into his battle. Damn. Something else. Yeah, I mean he's he's a hell of a fighter, you know. I mean he's fighting tooth and nail, and this is something that this is another lesson that he taught me. Just watching, you know, from afar and looking back on it now. But the nurse asked him, "What is it that?" You know you're 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 tough man. What you know you've been fighting this for a long time. What is it that's keeping you alive and fighting? And he said, "I want to see my son get clean, and I want to see him be the man that I know he can be." And so I'm listening to this, you know, and and I'm I have so much shame that I'm carrying, and hopelessness, and I'm like thinking to myself, "That's never going to happen." Like I can't I can't even believe that for myself. Right. And my dad is speaking that over me. And I'm just rejecting it. You know, I'm I'm just completely consumed by by my addiction. And a day like a day or so, either the next day or the day after, they moved him into, into the hospice room. He was in a regular room, they moved him to the hospice room, they start calling him. Everybody's coming to see him, you know, know he's knowing he's right at the end of his life. And uh, this is the last thing he said to me. And I'm standing by his bed and I'm holding his hand. He asked everybody to leave. So it's just me and him. And I'm the baby of the family. I've got, I've got um three older sisters. Leanne passed away and one older brother. And I'm named after my dad. So I'm like, I know that. And my dad took care of, you know, he was the baby. And he took care of his brothers and sisters. He took care of the family. He always had this company. He always gave our family jobs. Like, he always helped people out. And so, like, you know, growing up, he would instill that in me. He's like, you're going to be that same man that I was for my family. You're going to have to take care of our family. You know, I got off track, way, way off track. And so I'm standing by his bed, and he was like, asked me, he said, Caleb, where did I go wrong with you at? And I'm thinking like, well, yeah. yeah.
0: Where do we start? (laughs) Yeah.
3: Well, here, you know, then I'm like, but he done the best that he could, you know, with what he knew. And he said, uh, Caleb, you're going to be, he's like, I'm not worried about you. He's like, you're going to be, You're going to do great things for our family, for our community, and for our people. And I'm like, that's such a profound, prophetic word. And I was like, what the hell? Like, there is no way. There is no way that 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 is me. Like, I'm never going to be any of that. I literally, like, I remember the sweat was just rolling down my face because I was withdrawing so bad. And I felt like crap. And I'm like... He's lost his mind, and the next day, um, I'm in I'm in the bathroom in his hospi- hospice room, and I can hear his heart rate and it, uh, his heart monitor and he's beeping and it's beeping, and it flatlines. And guys, I, I literally had a needle in my arm the moment that my dad passed away. <sighs> it sent me in such a downward spiral. That I had turned into that, that I couldn't even be beside my dad's bed when he's taking his last breath. That I'm in the freaking bathroom shooting up, and I was like, you know what? I, I'm just I'm be better off dead. I can't do this. And one thing that I always try to speak over people now. You know, there's this, there's a scripture that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And my dad, like, speaking that word over me, even though I didn't get it then, that was a longing that I had. I needed to hear that. I needed to, for him to say, I believe in you, regardless of everything that's going on, That that this chapter can still have a great ending. And, but it didn't, it didn't hit. It still didn't hit. It still didn't hit my heart. So I continue, I left the hospital, I kid you not, I, I mean, I left the hospital, I called my dope dealer, meet me at the casino, boom, right back into the madness. Uh, shortly after that, I tried to commit suicide by overdose several times. And one of my last, so I overdosed six, six times, three of those times I had to be brought back with Narcan. One of the most significant overdoses I had, I was right here, like literally right outside the screen. And I come to, and I found out that an EMT worker just kept working on me. And would not, like, I was, I was flat-lined, blue, blue lips. I mean, just, I was cold. And she, I, she gave me an Narcan. She called the ER doctor and was like, he's gone. And the AR doctors like you should have more Narcan. She's like, yeah, like keep working on him, give him everything that you got, don't stop. Hung up the phone, you know, and I find out this this woman is like fighting tooth and nail for me to live. So I'll get to that part in just a few minutes. But you know, my life didn't change, like I said, because I had no accountability. I didn't hit my bottom. I was continued to be enabled. Right. During you know, after my dad passed, before my dad passed, and after he passed, I was in and out of jail. Never uh, The only time I went to treatment, I went for one day, <laughs> and I packed. <laughs> I showed up one day. Um, the girl that I was dating came to the jail with my mom. She brought me a shot of dope and and heroin. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to do one last shot before I get to the treatment center. And I get over there. We stopped in pitching Forge, Tennessee, at the outlet malls. I go in the bathroom and do that shot. I'm like, all right, now, let's go. I'm ready to go to rehab.
0: Yep. <laughs>
3: <laughs> gas it up. All right, we're going to do this. I get over there, start arguing with everybody, <laughs> manipulate, you know, fighting and fighting, like literally about getting into a fist fight with a director, tell him he's full of crap, you know, and um, I was just trying to make every excuse that I could to get out of there. Well, i done that. I'm walking down the road in Maryville, Tennessee, and I have got my, you know, my backpack and, and a trash bag, and I'm like 150 miles from Cherokee. Some guy picks me up, takes me back to Cherokee. Just I'm walking to a church, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll take you over there." So he like drives literally 100 miles, brings me home. Shortly after that, I had warrants, so I was running from the cops. And uh, when they finally caught me they set my bond at $180,000 and I knew like, okay, I'm laying down for a while. I'm not getting out. (laughs) Yeah, Might as well get comfortable. I ain't got that kind of money. None of the people I'm rolling with got that kind of money. So we're just going to, you know, cool our heels for a while. (laughs) (laughs) So that was the first time, man, that God got me still. He set me still and I knew and I made peace and I started to, I started to experience and entertain this thing called surrender, you know, <laughs> and how it like seeing how transformative that it was. And I started to, I remember I, I read a book um, called, I forgot to die. And I don't know if y'all have heard of this one.
0: No, it sounds awesome. Y'all, need,
3: y'all need to check it out. It, it like transformed my life. It was really inspiring. Um, the guy's name's Khalil Rafati. So I'm I'm reading this book. He, he was convicted felon, uh, overdosed several times, lived on Skid Row, and now he's a multimillionaire, like one of the most successful people uh, in recovery as far as business-wise goes. So, anyways, I'm reading Khalil's book, and he talks about like not being able to get into the mirror. And so, and one part one part of his book, and so I started getting up every morning and I would look at myself in in that. Piece of metal. You <laughs> know, it's not even here. Yeah. So I'm looking at looking at myself in the middle and I'm like, Caleb, I love you. You're amazing. And I was like, What? Like it got so strange. Like, it was so weird to say that to myself.
0: It's hard to hear.
3: It is. It is. It was it was so and so the guys, they'd be upstairs, you know, we're we're in this pod, and so we got upstairs and they'd always be looking downstairs, like, what is what is he doing? You know. <laughs> like, I was brushing my teeth and I'm telling myself, I love you. I love you. You're amazing. I love you. Um, And in doing that, I started realizing some things that I needed to change. Some things that, that within me, that I needed to change and let go of trauma that I need to address and and I had never, I was never raised in church, never went to church, never. If you try to talk to me about Jesus, I was going to laugh at you or fight you. I didn't want to hear any of that crap. Like, don't bring it around me. Um, and so I'm I'm sitting down and I've got the letters and I'm like cussing every other word. And it's GD this, F this, F that. And I'm sitting down, I'm writing a letter out to God. And I'm like, look, it, I, I'm. I'm, you know, I can't fight anymore. I, I'm, I'm laying it down. I'm, I'm surrendering. Like I need to know that you're real. I was like, God, if you're real, show me something. And I, and I like literally put it in my letters, like show me that my dad is still with me somehow, because I think that that biggest that that biggest trauma and that biggest hurt is the thing, the exact thing that God will use to set you free a lot of times. And so I, I write the, as I'm writing this this letter out. I lay my pen down and I walk upstairs. <clears throat> And this pastor walks in and uh, never met him before in my life. I'll come back down the steps, like literally after 30 seconds after I lay my pen down. And the I, I, first thing I notice is what he's wearing. You know, he's got the same shoes on, he's got the same pants on, same belt, his, his shirt's tucked in the same way. Like everything is to a T, my dad. Like, he's got a flannel shirt. Everything is, mustache is trimmed the same way. He wears his, his watch to the inside of his wrist, which is very, you know, that's not, that's not common. Not at all. And I'm like, what, what the heck's going on here? And uh, my dad had a particular way that he would shake hands with me. He always put his left hand out and put him, put him on top of ours. And he'd wink at me and say, I love you, son. I always shake my hand like that. And so I walk up to this pastor, comes into the pod. And uh, he's like, hey, my name's Pastor Terry. And shook my hand. He put his left hand over ours. He's like, I'm here to share the gospel with you and let you know I love you, son. And winks at me. And oh, I'm like,
0: damn.
3: whoa. What? Like, it there it was. I was, I was wrecked. And for the first time, looking back and seeing how God tried to show up in my life, like it was when I had completely surrendered and got out of my own way that I, that I seen like, okay, this is God showing up. And it's just a very simple, like, Hey, you know, you are loved. You are forgiven. You know, it wasn't like some prayer or anything, just those simple words and just experiencing God's presence. And shortly after the pastor left my speech, my handwriting, the things that I was talking about was night and day. And my mom, I remember I call my mom about every other day. And uh, when people say, like, did you think that Caleb had changed? And she's like, I knew the moment, you know, last time he called me until when he met, he met that pastor and he gave his life to, to God. And the next time he called me, that he was completely changed just by in his the way he was speaking. So I had a heart change, you know, like my heart was softened. I, was, I wasn't prideful. I was open to suggestion. I was open to uh, to having people to to mentor me and to help me along this path, and you know, reading different different literature when I was in when I was in jail, um, and then I started to be able I started dreaming again, like I had the ability, like I started like seeing things that I might be able to accomplish, and started fleshing those out, writing them writing them down, you know, and. Another scripture that I live by is like, uh, you know, without a vision, my people perish. You know, I needed to have something to work towards. I need and and so I started I started dreaming of those things when I was in jail. And so I spent six months in jail. You know, God completely wrecked my life about a month in. and uh, yeah, that's that's how my recovery journey started. Wow,
1: I, I don't think I've ever heard a sign more undeniable than that. Like that is truly miraculous in my mind. Amazing.
3: It really was. It was so like, it was so profound and clear. I mean, I, just, I could not mistake it. And so anytime I'm like having a hard day and I don't really know what to do or, you know, do the next right thing, I think back to like, look how God freaking showed up in your life, Caleb. Look how many times God has showed up in your life. Uh, you know, and, and look how, like, the thing that my dad spoke over me, like, I was beginning to realize, like, that was beginning to become a a realization and something that I could accomplish, being that man for my family, that man for my community. And, and so, like, I remember those words when I couldn't believe it, couldn't believe in myself that my dad believed in me, that God was using my dad to speak to me. And... You know, I, I had I had um, an idea and a dream of trying to do something for my community. And when I was in jail, it was like the, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the tiny homes. Yeah, That's yeah, what yeah. I do. You know, and it's changed from that. Like you have one idea, but then, you know, God does something else. And so like, I, I wanted to do that, but then I got out of jail and uh, that we do something called an RTR ride and it's remember the removal bike ride. And so we retraced the, the route, the Northern route, of the Trail of Tears. And I remember sitting in jail and I was reading the one feather, our local paper, and I seen that they were doing this ride. And I was like, I'm going to do that. Like that, that, I started working out when I was in jail, like worked out five days a week, like with the other guys, I was in there with start taking care of my body. I'd get up 6.00 AM. I'd be walking laps, you know, doing burpees, push-ups. Like I was beginning nice. to love myself, you know? And, uh, so I, I got out of jail. Now <laughs> I got to share this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I still had a lot of the, the addict mentality and behaviors. <laughs> I had started talking to a girl when I was in jail. at pal, never met her before in my life. Uh-oh. So I'm like, I'm gun-ho, I'm like, I'm doing this, you know, I'm, I'm changing my, and I'm like, I'm telling the girl, I'm marrying you when I get out of here.
0: (laughs) Uh
1: Uh-oh. You never even met her. You hadn't even met her, and you're going
3: to marry her. and I'm like, hey, this sounds like a great idea, right?
0: (laughs) She must have been one hell of a writer.
1: No, that's worse than rehab goggles at least in rehab you see each other <laughs> that's jail <laughs> goggles right there
3: yeah well you know i've seen her on the uh on the video visits that we had but oh <laughs> uh, i got out of jail i moved her into the house she moved into the in jail moved to- she has two she had two kids knows <sighs> i said she has like had past tense we're not together anymore
0: <laughs> gotcha gotcha <laughs>
3: So I get out of jail, and uh, she got me some clothes. None of my clothes fit. I obviously, put on some jail weight. So I got out. <clears throat> She's a stylist, cuts my hair. We go get a marriage certificate literally the day I walk out of jail, guys. Wow. We get a marriage certificate. Go to the church, to Pastor Terry's church. That the guy that shared the gospel with me that day. Why? He thought that it was a good idea. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he should have been like, "Caleb, hey, whoa, 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 hang on a second, let's let's let's, let's yeah. think about this." <laughs> so, Maybe he thought um, it would help
1: you stay sober. Maybe he thought you know think, that extra responsibility would be good for you.
3: I think it's, uh, it's that's 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 what he had to be thinking because there was no other. There's nothing rumors. else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, got married that day. I remember driving down the highway, and I was like, "What the hell did I just do?" <laughs> and I was not ready. I was not ready for any type of relationship. You know, I'm like just learning to love myself, let alone like, you know, bringing his family in. And and so, needless to say, that lasted two months. We separated. <clears throat> um, you know, during that time, I started. I was like, gun ho about getting to my substance abuse treatment classes bounced around done a lot of different things as far as uh, recovery goes i went to uh na for a, a while i went to celebrate recovery and just being heavily involved in in um different men's groups really helped me nice and um seven weeks out so right before me and this woman separate i do i do a half iron man like get married go sign up for a half iron man you know what i mean it's
0: there we go I thought that was a great-
3: <laughs> so i do that half iron man and uh it changed uh, that changed my life how'd you I do i love i completed it
0: <laughs> that's something for sure i haven't Especially done an Ironman.
3: first. yeah i mean you know coming out of the, the madness and not taking care of myself for several years and then doing a half iron man seven weeks out of jail i thought that was pretty Thought that was pretty significant. Yeah, um, really big. Had never done any kind of swimming or anything. I literally guys I backstroke the whole thing. It was just like, <laughs> nice. just one one stroke at a time. You know, survivor swimming. <laughs> Better than doggy paddling. <laughs> I, yeah, it was. I was. I don't remember, I was in the first. I was in the first group to go out, and I finished second to last. And there was eighteen. That's how slow I was, but I got it done. That's that's all it that matters. I didn't quit. That's
1: right.
3: Uh, you know, and, and that that's been such a transferable transferable thing in my life is like do, doing these big fitness endeavors has really given me confidence and self esteem, given me direction, helped me accountable, helped me to stay dedicated to my healing, to to you know all those different areas in our lives that that we need to take care of in recovery. And so, her and I we we split up and. Like I said, I was getting heavily involved in my substance abuse treatment classes here on the reservation, completely changed my life. And and I started noticing this girl who was really outspoken and I'd known her from our time uh, when we were using, I couldn't stand her at the time. <laughs> and we we started, we, we had a lot in common. Like I was, her and I were probably the most outspoken and vocal ones in the classes that would get, in the, get the most engaged. And, uh, well, you know, we're going to different meetings together. We're running with the same groups and stuff. And and uh I, that was my, you know, she became my girlfriend. We, my, she's my wife now, but you know, Caitlin. Um, you know, we got started getting really close and everything. And and so developed this relationship that was, you know, she's in recovery, I'm in recovery. You know, we, we get to we understand one another and all those things that come with that, but also like you got trauma, I got trauma we got to take care of ourselves, you know, individually so we could be the good together collectively. And, uh, you know, just having, just holding each other accountable to those things. And um, back to that RTR ride, I remember wanting to do that when I was in jail. And so I go and try to apply for this. And little do I know that they don't accept convicted felons. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm like. What, you know, guys, like this is the exact reason. You know, somebody in recovery, like, this would be really beneficial because it's a really long application process. You get to learn, um, you get to learn a lot more about our language. It's like it's really it's this huge journey that you get to partake in. You know, and a big honor that you get to do this. And you and said it was like-
1: a, a bike ride on the Trail of Tears. I'm, I just want to make sure. I, yeah.
3: And how yeah, how long bike- is that?
1: Just uh, just so we can understand what exactly you're going for here.
3: Uh, a thousand miles Woo. a
0: lot of miles they so do
3: it <laughs> as a group it's a group ride and um so there's three tribes within the or three bands within the cherokee tribe you got the eastern band here in cherokee north carolina and then you've got united Kadua band in cherokee nation and they're in oklahoma gotcha well the rtr riders are made up of eastern band members and and cherokee nation members and they come together every year and they do this and i remember i got so i was ticked off i was going around calling council members i was trying to get this rule changed i went up in front of the council in front of the chief and uh i was like hey we need to revisit this this rule you know like and take it case by case because obviously you don't want to have certain individuals out on the ride you know some of the just for whatever reason, a number of reasons. And uh, they were like, no, we're not doing it. And I remember I remember standing up in front of my council, in front of my whole tribe and everything. It was, on, it was televised on TV and I was like, look, if y'all don't let me ride the bike, I'm gonna run it. And they all scoffed, they laughed, rolled their eyes like, yeah, whatever Caleb. And uh, so I started training. I was like, I'll be, I'll be damned. I can, like, I can do this. You know, like, I, I overcame that. Like, this is nothing. And so I started training, putting in the work, putting in those hard yards, those miles, early mornings. I was getting up. I was running to my freaking SAT classes, you know. I, during break, it was a two-hour class, so we had a 15-minute break. I was running on breaks. Like, I was, co- you know, completely zoned in to getting this thing done. And uh Caitlin and I, our relationship began to blossom and and along this journey and seeing her seeing me put in this work like really, really inspired her. She was smoking at the time. Mm-hmm. And so she knew that um she wanted to hang out and be around she's she was gonna have to run at, at some point. <laughs> like, so. <laughs> She's like, well, can't be them, Might as well join them, right? So, I remember she uh, she done her first mile, and and she called me. She sent me a picture of the mile and everything. So she would she would do get on the treadmill, run. And she'd get off, stop, smoke cigarettes. And so, like, seeing how how she's how her life's trans transformed, how it transformed during that journey, she started taking care of better better care of herself. Start putting her health first. You know, I mean, not as as well as mental health, but physical health. And, uh, you know, I I put in seven months of work. And then on May 14th, I started uh, at the Gadua Mound, which is a really sacred place for us. It's where, like, we had a, a village back in the day. So it's got this mound in the middle of a field. And all those people that doubted me, council members, chief, um, they all showed up for a send-off. Wow. and I was like yeah so that was cool that was cool and and my brother and i have always had a strained relationship and just the power of recovery you know putting in the work and 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 healing and taking care of yourself and just watching how you know the, the gifts of recovery those restored relationships but my brother showed up um to sit to you know congratulate me and wish me luck and when he showed up so when i was when i was used and somebody broke into my house and stole a the last urn that i had with my dad's ashes in it and uh my brother shows up he's got an urn and he was like this is my urn and i want to give it to you and we hadn't talked in years and he gave me a hug and we cried together and and uh that began the the healing in our relationship and so i i I didn't do the northern route, but i have done a a different route called the binge route. And it's basically like straight across the country. Well, you go go down to Alabama, up through Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, into Arkansas and Oklahoma. And so I started on May 14th. Two weeks in, I lose my aunt, my mom's sister, to endocarditis, you know, which is an infection of the heart from shooting up she had a massive heart attack and she passed away when I was on my journey. Damn. And, you know, at this point in time, I had enough tools in my belt, you know, of of mentors and reaching out and I knew what to do. And, and, and I just kept running. My mom came back and she buried my aunt and was with the family. And she was like, no, you need to finish what you started. You know, which is significant because I've never, I never knew how to do that. Well, Finish something that started. And uh, June 28th on my birthday, my mom, my mom's birthday, my grandma's birthday, we got three generations on one day. Wow,
0: that's crazy.
3: Uh, yeah. Wow. I roll. I run into Oklahoma and uh, council members. They flew to Oklahoma <laughs> to see me finish. Like all that doubted me, are lining up the roads in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Uh, and people that believed in me I mean people that believed in me from junk from the jump. you know it was watching my journey seeing you know what I was about sharing my story and uh, just trying to empower people to go out and chase their impossible you know all these people were there and Caitlin was she ran 400 miles of it with me you know I ran almost 800 she ran almost half of that with me as my sport crew and just being out there and, and so yeah I finished that run and You know that really catapulted me and gave me a platform to share my story on a bigger level and so that's what i've tried to do from here on out you know from the time that i was locked up didn't believe myself had so much trauma uh, you know just didn't know how to deal with things until like look what look what can take place you know with a gift of recovery
0: wow dude i gotta say i literally that just literally gave me the goosebumps hearing that story dude
3: Thanks, man. It's It's been an amazing journey, you know, and and hopefully, we, uh, thankfully, we're just getting started and we we'll just continue to do more. And so, you know, like that just helped us to step into the next thing, which was that dream when I was in jail to build something here in our community for men. And along that journey, we had a cousin, had a cousin of ours who was like, you know what? She, she's a little older, and she went up to my – went up to approach my mom, and she said, I love what Caleb's doing. I love his idea of wanting to give back to the community. She's like, if you would give me a rental. My mom gave her one of our uh, trailers a rental here, and she signed the house over to us that we're now turning into a recovery house for men. Wow,
0: dude. That's so, amazing.
3: Just putting in that work, you know, and showing up and, and um, just relentlessly – you know, just relentless forward progress and, and and just being, trying to be a servant to, to my neighbor, you know, and to my community. Um, things have just, God has just continued to place, put things in place.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, man. I think the, the most beautiful, like, through line of the whole story is like, you know, there's all these people there to, that are believing in you, but you know once you believe in you they're all there you know to cheer you on and support you and it's just it's that's such a crazy concept you know of just like once we can believe in ourselves the world is your oyster type of thing you know and it just it yeah. just rings true
3: for sure <laughs>
1: Wait. So, what made sure. you want to run? Like, if I was told I couldn't do this bike ride, nothing in a million years would say, "Oh, okay." Then I'm going to run it. Like, what, <laughs> what, what? How did? What did? What was your thinking on that? Just out of curiosity.
3: You know, I think that I don't think. Okay, y'all probably not, <laughs> but. I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking to a uh, Navy SEAL trainer, an instructor, a SEAL instructor. And he was like, they were asking him, what is it that separates the guys that come in and complete SEAL training and the guys that don't? What is it that, that helps people to to achieve these things that just seem impossible or seem like, you know, like it's so crazy for, to, to even fathom that somebody would even do that. And he said that, it's a little bit of narcissism, like not, not where it's like a bad thing, but like enough, just enough and ego. And I think that it was, I think it was a little bit of both for me. Like the fact that I had been counted out so many times, the fact that there were people whispering and, and, and still like saying, Oh, you know, we, we know Caleb, like this right here, this, this is, this ain't going to last. Like that literally fueled my fire as much as those people that, I mean, I think it was both. And
0: of course, of course. Um,
3: so just, I mean, just trying to, and, and remembered my dad's work, you know, it was all of that, all of that encapsulated helped me to be like, you know, what I have done enough of just getting by just existing, just taking up space, not being the 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 one that god created me to be that i'm going to go out and attempt this and the worst that's going to happen well, i want to fail you know what i'm saying like that's okay i can you know i'm still gonna be able to get up the next morning and look at myself in the mirror but i won't be able to do that if i don't try yeah of you course know?
0: yeah that's amazing um, you know they kind of say too when you accept like the worst case scenario then you're good the worst case yeah. is you fail and run a, a lot of miles. Like that's still cool.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's no yeah, big sure. deal. <laughs> so when I want to go back to that story, I was telling you about a minute ago, the first time that I go and, and pick up Caitlin for, for a date, I'm sitting down, I'm talking to her mom and uh, I'm telling her about this overdose that I had, you know, and how this EMT worker just continued to work on me and save my life. And, and she's sitting there nodding her head and, and uh, she's like, Caleb, hey, let me tell you something. And I was like, what? I li- guys, it's the first time I, like, go to pick up my, my now wife you know, on our first date. And her mom's like, you know who saved you? And I was like, no. Nah. She said, that was me. Wow. wow. Well, what? and how
1: interesting you're telling her this story on the first time you're meeting
3: her. Yeah, it's, I got chill bumps, like just, <laughs> Just seeing like how how God has it's got it blows my mind just looking back and seeing God's fingerprints on different areas and times of my life, and like it's so beautiful and amazing, you know, and like just thinking back to I started crying when she talked when she shared that with me I said, like, I cannot believe that that is so crazy, and now you know we're we're where we're at today and We've got a good marriage and, and, and you know, and, and we're working together to make a difference in our community. And the fact that that took place, it's just mind boggling, it's just mind boggling.
1: Well, tell us more about that. What are you doing today with recovery and your community?
3: Okay, so we are, Caitlin, she has a women's group that she does every Tuesday. Um, it's starting to really take off. She's getting a lot of women that, uh, we just re- we didn't recently, our tribe recently opened up a women's and children's home. So Caitlin is, um, constantly trying to be a, she works, she just got a new job as a peer support. So she's trying to, to create, um, a space for women to come on every Tuesday with her and, and, and you know, to empower them and to help them in their recovery journey. Also, uh, we, we got that house that I was just telling you guys about, and we're in the remodeling process. The thing that's got us hung up for you know a while has been the HVAC unit, but we recently got the HVAC unit. It's about to be installed. We got the cabinets ordered. We're going to order the flooring. We're getting ready to start you know furnishing the house. Um, we've got support from our tribe, so we're going to be able to accommodate eight men. And we're trying to build a program that is progressive and a bit more outside the box than traditional modalities. Love that. And yep. So <laughs> we're all about that. For sure.
0: That's us.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: That's what, that's what I heard, man. I'm excited to, uh, to connect with you guys on that level and, and see what you got going on. Because I seen y'all just got another award, uh, award or something for last year.
1: Yeah, we got uh, the number one, the gold in uh, outcomes. So like after people leave and, and their ability to stay sober, number one in the country.
3: That's awesome. Congratulations on that. And that, that's what we want to build here. You know, we want to have on-site therapy. We want to implement, you know, different um, uh, physical fitness activities, yoga. Uh, we, we <laughs> I don't want to get too far off track, but in 2000, so I ran the Trail of Tears in 2018. In 2019, we biked the Pacific Coast Highway. Wow. Um, and so along that along that journey, we made a, a group in Col- Pueblo, Colorado, and they've got a program called Addict to Athlete where they do and yeah. implement cross. And so it's uh it's not a residential program; it's it's an outpatient type program.
0: Yeah, yeah. But no, I've heard to- of them.
3: Have you Have you heard of them?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow them on Instagram. Yeah, they have a podcast so- and stuff too. Yeah.
3: I think I think you might be talking about a different addict to athlete. Oh, really? But I know I'm talking about because I'll follow their podcast too. <laughs> yeah. So we met these people in Colorado, and what's different we we're thinking about bringing their program um, here to Cherokee is they have buy-in from the judicial and court system. So when these when when they got um, their client, I mean the people that's on probation coming to their to these CrossFit classes and, and recovery classes afterwards, you got probation officers in there and police officers working out with the people that they were overseeing. Oh, wow. So you're being support that you don't normally see. You know what I'm saying?
0: Right. Yeah. Kind of bridging the gap
3: for sure. And advocating for people not just be like, you need to show up at my office and give me a drug test. No, it's like, I want to come and support you and work out with you and see you as a person. Dude,
0: that's so, beautiful! Wow, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, we'll do fitness competitions with the clients, and so the, and and a lot of times we'll work out together with them, and it really it is a bonding. You're in battle together. It is an amazing experience when when we can all work together in that manner. But um, never thought about having the cops in, and probation up. That's just amazing. I love that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I'll have to uh, share their information. It's uh, Sheena and Rob Archuleta. Um, you go check them out and everything. So we, we've talked we met them along that journey. And, uh, so we want to implement that into our house as well. Um, so you fitness this is
1: going to be a big part of this. I, I can already tell due to your history and, and what you're going and and us knowing how much fitness can help in sobriety. So I assume that's going to be a big part of what you're doing
3: for sure structure you know and making sure that these guys are getting up they're learning to eat right eat better they're learning to take care of their bodies you know like i said having on-site therapy going to different uh giving them access to different groups figuring out you know what their recovery looks like and uh yeah i mean things are coming together you know we're on the precipice of getting this thing opened up here this spring that we're hoping so um at the latest it'd probably be june but you know we're going to start taking doing intakes here very soon.
0: Yeah. Well, congrats, man. That's so awesome. And and so it's on the reservation, right? So is it like it's only for your community and your tribe and, and everybody in that area, like strictly for people in your area?
3: You know, I'm thinking that we've made such uh, we made a lot of connections across the country. You know, we do mission trips out to uh, Pine Ridge Reservation. We got Oklahoma, gotcha, and we got a lot of friends out there and so like once we get this open if our friends out there know somebody that needs a program and needs to get away from their you know people places and things then we'll probably open that up to other people to come as well and then we're also going to have at least we want to have two beds for non-enrolled members for people outside of our community here locally right so we want to just have we want to have buy-in we want especially like the faith community. I don't know. I can't really depend on, uh, on, on that for a lot of donations and stuff, but we do want to have buy-in from the faith community and from churches that that are surrounding us. Of course. And so open doors to other people that are outside of the reservation. We think that that would help, you know, with that. So, yeah, we got some ideas. We, uh, we're still working on our program and everything, what exactly that looks like, but, you know, in a GS, that's what I just got through sharing with
1: you guys. Awesome. Well, I know, and we would uh, be, we would love to help you in any way we can with that because we've had uh, through the years, we've helped a lot of native Americans and I know for us and, and we could probably talk about this more and in hearing your story in totality, it confirms what our suspicion is, but it's definitely a demographic that we've struggled with. And my, my thinking on it is, A, uh, there's such an unconditional love of family and like no matter what, we'll always love you. So there is a level of enabling that occurs that makes it difficult for us to be tough on them because they know they can go home and, you know, if they, they, they cried the family will be like, fine, here's your ticket, just come home. We don't want to, you know, we don't want you stuck out there somewhere. And so we'll do whatever we got to do to help you uh, not have to deal with that and then like you said the the money you know so it's it's very difficult for us to sort of we call it bottom line somebody when there's all these outs of not having to take total uh control and change their lives and then also going back into the same environment and hoping that things are going to be different to me those seem to be like our biggest difficulties does that seem right on yeah
3: Yeah, for sure you know we <laughs> we got here um it's it's actually about an hour out off of the reserve, off the main reservation. We got land about an hour outside of the boundary here in Cherokee, and we've got a, um, a residential rehab down there. And that's one of the most prominent things is like them leaving treatment or completing treatment, and then they come right back, and you know that they, they they're right back into the same cycles and everything. And so a lot of recidivism for that reason. So that's and that's another thing that's that, that a demographic that we want to serve is having that that trans- transitional living yeah of course so people that need a little bit more time we're going to open open our doors for those men as well like yeah. hey i'm not i'm not really ready to come back but i just completed treatment so i need a place to go like okay you know let's see how we can work together here and continue your journey recovery.
0: Yeah. Kind of that transitional living is so important. And it sounds like that's unique to like the reservation. Now, like you're kind of providing that resource of like, once you go to treatment, now you can come transition and, and almost like, uh, like readjust to this normal, healthy, sober life, which you're like creating within your community, which sounds amazing. Like, uh, like it's been needed type of thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We don't have it. We don't have any type of transitional living. So, like, right. we have a thorough and, and awesome continuum of care. You know, we've got everything. We've got a crisis stabilization, like a, an on-site detox center that just opened up. Nice. As a tribe as a tribe now. And not not what we're doing, but we have that. Then we have the women's and children's home. We have the residential treatment, but we don't have any kind of transitional living. We don't have any kind of low-income housing. So those are two the gap fillers that, you know, need to be taken care of, but of course we want to be that gap filler for the transitional living and offer. I mean, eight beds. It's not a lot, but it's a start. It's
0: a start, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's eight more beds than we have now.
3: (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah. We we
1: have what we call our trainee program and it's not transitional. It's more like people who want to join staff, but it's a, a feel you out kind of period. And so after our program, They can join a trainee program, see what it would be like, see if this is something they want to do long term. But a lot of people find their passion and purpose to help people that were like them and they want to turn it into a career. So if you can provide that sort of space to give back, it's amazing how many people who are addicts end up finding they want to help other addicts. And that's their calling in life, which you never would have known unless you were an addict and then got sober. So uh, something like that would be amazing, too, because I bet there's a lot of people just like you and just like us that want to take this past and turn it into good.
3: For sure. Yeah, that's a great idea.
1: And again, I would love to have you out. I would love to share all our ideas with you because it's such a a community in need and there's so many good people that could be helped. And any way we can help you help them, we would love to do that.
3: Hey, I'm about to gas it up. We'll go ahead and lock a date in here soon. Let's yeah. Do it. <laughs> Let's do it. We love California.
1: <laughs> there you go. I give it so, maybe a couple more months. It'll be perfect weather. And um, yeah, you can come work out with us in our CrossFit gym. You know, we'll put you through the box. We'll help you open your own box next to your house. So you, we can do that too.
3: Yeah. That, and that's another thing too. That's really cool is the, so we got this house and then directly beside this house was, um, so the woman who donated the main house, her aunt, um, her aunt once that was last summer. Her like yeah, last summer, she uh she was having to go into hospice care and she's like, I'm not gonna be around and I want my house to go to something a good cause. So we re- recently closed the deal on that other house. Nice. Right. So now we got two we don't know what we're doing with the second one, and then what what else is cool is right right a hundred yards away from those two is a church. This church is just dying. There's no you know there's nothing that people don't even show up for services anymore. And come to find out, my dad built that church. Wow. So like we got these two in this church that we possibly might be getting in the near future that my dad built. So just like just the restorative, you know power of recovery and just watching things kind of fall in place you know it's been beautiful and awesome to to witness and be a part of wow
0: no that's huge man well it sounds like you know it's like they say you know you start doing the right things the opportunities start landing in your lap you know once you're for
3: sure once you're able
0: to see them they're all they're all there and uh yeah I'm, i'm so glad to hear that that's happening you know with with you personally but as well as as your community you know and you like all the issues you were dealing with somehow you're also the dude to solve all of them, you know, and be like the change that you want to see, you know, like yeah. with great power comes great responsibility type of thing.
1: Yeah. And as far as addicts, you were one of the worst. So, you know, there's nothing, (laughs) there's nobody you can't help because you know the depth that you went.
3: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's, it's been, it's been a cool journey, you know, and, man i can't wait to uh to just have this thing open and seeing men come in and their lives being transformed families being restored generational curses broken you know these these traumas that they're that are going to be healed and taken care of and the fact that i was standing beside my dad's bed and he said that this is going to happen and it's fleshing out you know what i'm saying i'm able to walk it out and i'm just i thank god i'm just really thankful for to be where I'm at today.
1: Well, you've definitely earned it. It's not like it was just, you know, given to you on on a gold platter. You have earned every ounce of that. And uh what a what an inspiration you are for us, for our listeners, for everybody. It's amazing.
3: Thank you guys. I really appreciate it. This has been it's been pretty quite quite the conversation. Like I could say I don't I don't I didn't pull some of those I've never pulled some of those stories out and shared, but uh, I, I love being vulnerable and um, you know want, there's a story I, I want to share this real quick because uh, I think we're getting pressed for time, but um, the power of our story, right, and our testimony, and how like that is the most important currency that we have is our stories. And being a follower of Christ, I heard this the other day, and you guys might be able to relate to this, I'm sure, but when Jesus walks into the upper room and he shows his wounds to Thomas so Thomas will believe, It's, it was giving us, each and every one of us, permission, like we heal others by showing our wounds. We heal others by being vulnerable and putting ourselves out there and letting God do the work, right? And so... I just wanted to share that with you guys like we're we're all wounded healers and we all need to be sharing that with one another and you know walking beside each other.
0: Yeah wow no I appreciate you saying that man there's there's two things that I kind of wanted to say the first thing was you know we just recently had a, a, a client who was Native American and he was his graduation like as he was like ending his treatment he had like a little graduation ceremony and he was he was explaining how important like storytelling is in his culture, and he he explained the story of like a red tail hawk and there was a red tail hawk at the facility and he knew it was like his ancestors like watching him at our facility and he made this badass story about the red red tail the red tailed hawk um so I wanted to acknowledge that because that was a super cool story, just kind of like you said and um also in the recovery community and narcotics anonymous, alcoholics anonymous treatment. It's very like private. It's very anonymous. It's it. We like to tell our story to each other, but Mm -hmm. rarely do we just openly tell these stories, you know? And I think what you're saying is there's a lot of power to, to being vulnerable, to telling these stories, to showing our wounds. And then I think there's kind of this paradigm shift of we should talk about them a lot more, maybe not just to our fellow addicts and alcoholics, but to everybody, to the world, to anyone that wants to listen, you know, and I think I think we're on to something.
1: Yeah. And For just, sure. Just to chime in real quick on that. I, I love yeah, that. I get there, back to that. Yeah. But this has been part of our journey, too. It literally took, what, five, six episodes before I, I looked at Dallas. I was like, you know, we're getting into everybody else's story, but we as the hosts have never even told our own stories. And it's been a journey this last year to start telling my story uh openly and share that because it it wasn't part of the modality i you know it was just all new and and i'm really i i i really i want to say jive but that's a weird word I really like what you said because I feel that is the power because the stories are the power the hearing the depths and the connections and and the hope and the miracles like that is the power of why we're doing what we're doing why you do what you do so why not use that
3: for sure yeah love it
1: the shirt stigma slayers is this uh do you have this copyrighted tell me about it because i love it
3: (laughs) i've got a friend i will send you the link she puts out some awesome uh hang on one second low battery yeah she puts out (laughs) some awesome Apparel and stuff. So I will shoot that over to you. Yeah. I love Ginger, it. Yeah.
1: I, love it. Yeah, I think that's what added- we're all trying to do. It's like, you know, just because you were an addict, that doesn't mean you're always an addict and you don't have to be treated or act like an addict. And and look at the powerhouses we are now. We should show that off.
3: Sure. Yeah. You you see addict and junkie and, and alcoholic, whatever, fill in the blank. And then, like, let me show you what I'm capable of doing and being, you know, a productive member. Like, I mean, just. Laying that stigma, you know? Yeah. <laughs> love that.
0: Yeah. Love we're going to have to get a t-shirt for sure.
1: For sure. A
3: hundred percent. I'll send you guys the link.
1: Okay. We love that.
0: Yeah, please do, man. And Caleb, thank you so much for being on the show, dude. It's been a pleasure. I think the last thing I wanted to say is, is listening to your story and sp- like, I felt inspired to get sober, even though I've been sober for like seven years. It, <laughs> I was like, oh man, like, sobriety sounds so cool and I'm like dude you've been sober for years but like I still had that feeling you know of like holy crap this is crazy
1: yeah and you definitely inspired me to push harder with my you know fitness you know set a goal out there not you know it's not just showing up and staying healthy it's like let's push ourselves a little harder and go for a really unachievable goal That just sounds amazing you made it sound maybe because you made it sound really easy but it's i'm like oh i could do something like that
3: (laughs) so you can absolutely yeah you know i always try to keep something on my on my calendar you know and the next thing that i have is i'm trying to be the first for my tribe to qualify for the olympic trials in the marathon so wow i've got it's the three-year goal like and i need that i need that consistency i need that that dedication, that accountability to my, to my training, my nutrition, all those different things. And, uh, I'm already trying to have the mentality and the, uh, the dedication of an, of an Olympian. They know us. You want to continue to help me grow and, and heal and inspire. So yeah, put something on the calendar, Angie. Yeah. Doing <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to find something. <laughs> hey, what do you, let me get y'all out here sometime and show y'all around the reservation and stuff. would love that. Would yeah, love we would that. love
1: that, dude.
0: We
3: would love that. Maybe
1: when it's a little warmer, though. It's kind of cold there right now, right?
3: It is. Hey, springtime, though, like early April. I don't know if y'all, you know, if y'all could manage that. But when everything's in bloom here and it's starting to warm up, like, you know, take you down to the Cadua Mound I was telling you about. We got elk all over the place. It's a beautiful place to run. Like, yeah, we got to get y'all out here and, and hanging out with us some.
0: Yeah. I'd
1: love that. would love that. Yeah. No,
0: let's do it, dude. I, well, I'm all for it. And I think last question, Caleb, was where can, uh, where can our audience find more of you? Like Instagram, you know, is there any videos of you training for the Olympics to like the Rocky theme song, anything like that? Where can they find you? Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, so yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. So my Facebook is my name, Caleb K A L L U P McCoy the second, and then my Instagram handle is underscore Recovery Line eighty
0: six. Nice. Okay. So,
3: yeah, go go look me up, and um, we haven't got a web page out just yet, but we do have a, a, our our organization page, and it's called Res Hope. Nice. Um, and Easy Hope. You can, find us on, you can find us on Facebook. And then our podcast is The Cherokee Plug, and we're on Instagram. On Perfect. So Cherokee we'll put Plug. all
1: those in the show notes so our listeners have those, and uh, they can easily find you and support you and, and, and join along.
3: Sounds good, guys.
0: There we go. Thank you so much for being on the show, brother. It was so good talking to you, man. We can't yeah. wait to come see you in person.
3: For real, we'll get all this lined up. Get y'all on the show uh, with us next time. Yeah, let's do it. Sounds great.
2: All right.
3: Sounds good, guys. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: All right, guys. That's our show for today. We hope you found some value from listening and if you did please share with someone you know or love you can find us on social media we are at elevate addiction services
1: and if you or a loved one are struggling with addiction please call our toll-free confidential 24-hour helpline at 833-33-SOBER or visit our website at elevaterehab.org